Good morning, everybody. Let me um, lead us in prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you this Father's Day that we remember you as the Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Um, so we thank you that you are God who loves to speak. Thank you that you sustain this world by your word. And thank you that you love to speak um, to us as your people. And we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray that we might have soft hearts, that we would hear your voice. And more than just hearing your voice, that with your help we'd be those who obey. Um, however old we are, however long we've known you, or whether we're new Christians, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much to Shanna um, for reading for us. If you were here um, this last week, or indeed if you were just watching the kids slot, um, you might have spotted it was quite a practical one. Paul helping us to consider how we can rejoice. As a church, we thought about these joy glasses week by week, and yet um, it's not that easy, is it? Let's be honest. And so Paul was thinking about different barriers and hurdles. There was a hurdle of gentleness. Do you remember he said, the Lord is near, no need to panic, no need to retaliate. You can rejoice. Or indeed, the second one, as we were thinking about with the kids a moment ago, anxiety. Do you remember? Seek the Lord with thanksgiving. Jesus is bigger. It may feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, we said. Or indeed, your thought life, I think, as Pat began the service this morning, remembering to be careful of what we focus on, what we think about. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and we said, foundationally, that is Christ, then think about such things. Remember them. That is where your mindset ought to be. And yet then Paul finishes up this letter to the Philippians, and perhaps you'll be pleased to hear it's our last one um, this week, working our way slowly through this letter. And what Paul does, he does something he's done a few times before, and he gives us an example to chew over this week. Not just an idea to engage with or a philosophy to ponder, but rather something for us to think about, a real person to look at as he works out what we saw last week. We've seen it already through the series. Teaching is not just taught, no, it's caught, it's modelled. We see it in others and we understand it then. And so if last week it was the rejoice command, we've just sung rejoice in the Lord always, it's a command. This week is the rejoice example. And the example that Paul chooses for them, for us, is their existing relationship, their generous partnership with Paul already. And it's to do with generosity and money. And maybe he chooses those things because they are easily the kind of things we can get anxious about, the things that we get out of perspective and get wrong. Those are the things that can be such enormous drainers of joy, so good that they can be at sucking away our rejoicing. Actually, it's extraordinary. This letter, again, seems to be incredibly relevant. Our economy is going to be complicated over the next few months, years even. Money may well be the kind of thing for us to be anxious about. That's real. And so it's striking that 
the Lord seems to have brought us to these verses. Maybe these are lessons for us now, but lessons for us for the months ahead as well as we deal with the reality of, a, of an economy that's not doing so well. And so re Paul rejoices because of their kindness to him, their generosity. But he says, I don't need it, though. Verse 11 to 13. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed, whether hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's extraordinary, isn't it? We think about the truth of that. This is a message for a people like us who live in times of discontent. A message for people like us who have hearts that daily bubble away with discontent. And so our first point for this morning is that Paul shows us contentment in a world of discontent. Most companies use marketing strategies to try and make us think that we need a certain product or whatever it is that they are selling to us. That life is not complete without it. How can you how can you get by without this thing, without this product, without this service, without this oven cleaner or tonic water or hatchback car or this app on your phone that will make your life so much easier? Or this low-fat corner yoghurt or this internet service provider with quicker upload speeds or whatever it is. So often they seek to breed discontentment in us. They know the reality of our hearts. Just remember the the Christmas TV toy advertising when you were a child, or perhaps you are still a child. You know the pattern from about four months out, our list for Father Christmas is already being shaped by the media that we are consuming. Those adverts shaping our desires and our wants, breeding discontentment in us making us feel like our, our life is not complete because we've, got this, we've not got this thing that we didn't even know existed until a few minutes ago. But not for Paul. He, he knows contentment, whatever the weather. He knows contentment when he's in house arrest, when he's in prison, in lockdown, like now. Chained to a prison guard. Largely isolated from his friends. Largely unable to do the ministry he had planned. But he also knows contentment, he says, when he's in plenty. And I have to admit, that is really striking to me. Did you see it? We almost skip over it. He's not just content when he's in need, when the, the cupboards are empty, when he's not got very much, when life is frustrating, when the bank balance is tiny, when there's a tiny house or no pension, whatever it might be. But actually, he's content at the other end of the spectrum as well. He's content. He's happy with his lot when he's got stuff. When he is finding his cupboards are full. He's content with plenty as well. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance. When there is food in the cupboard. When there is food on the table. When his savings are full. When it's a bumper harvest, when he's got loads. And I think having a content heart when we have plenty is really unusual. To not allow what we have to get its claws into us and to shape us is unusual. It's fair to say that ours is a confused world when it comes to money and 
contentment and success and we we kind of know that those things aren't the answer but maybe we want to see whether that's actually true for us it's you know give me a couple of million lord and i'll tell you whether i'm content or not i'm sure i won't be and i'd rather have you but our world is confused and so often we're confused as well let me just give you a few um, quotations I came across regarding money and wealth and success and it, you see something of the confusion you see something of the mixed messages maybe even you see something of the reality of your heart in that Oscar Wilde quipped um, when I was young I thought that money was the most important thing in life now that I am old I know that it is he said or famously we talked about this in our house the other day um, John D. Rockefeller, multimillionaire, once asked the question, how much money is enough? And he answered, just a little bit more. Benjamin Franklin said, money has never made man happy, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. Or even Jim Carrey, a famous actor. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. You see, we have an economy so often that's built around it. We have hearts that run after it. But when we get it, we realise it's not what we were looking for in the first place. And so have a listen to this from the English Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs. This is lovely. He says this, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let me read that again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That's it, isn't it? That's the kind of contentment Paul's talking about. That's, that's part of how he can wear these, these joy specs. That don't, you, don't you long for that? Trusting your kind father, knowing that he is good and he's in control, even in a season like this. And whether our cupboards are full or our cupboards are empty, we're content because we have him. And we know that he's enough. We know that he's enough when it comes down to it. And so I reckon our question must be, Paul, how? Because I'm assuming you struggle with this. No, I do. It's the kind of thing that's tied up with doing everything without complaining or arguing from a few weeks back. Do you remember that verse? It's convicting, isn't it? How do we get this kind of contentment? How can Paul have this kind of counter-cultural attitude that, that, if we're honest, can feel so alien to us? How, how can we get this kind of attitude? Is it just a question of daily stoicism, daily looking within, trying a bit harder? We must do better. I, I am going to be content today. This week will be a week of contentment. But, but how's your contentment been these last few weeks, these last few months? I think the answer is there in verse 13. If you've got a Bible in front of you, have a look down with me. 
He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, Philippians 4 verse 13 is a famous verse. Usually you'll find that verse on T-shirts, greetings cards, motivational posters and mugs. It's a kind of life verse for many. Just type it into Google Images and you will see some extraordinary examples of where this verse is printed, including a basketball team who have, who have 413 written on the side of their shoes because of Philippians 4 verse 13, the number of Christians that are in that NBA team. There are some extraordinary examples of Philippians 4 verse 13, as well as some very painful looking tattoos with, with enormously big lettering on people's bodies. But of course, as whenever we read the Bible, we don't read it as a smattering of random verses and pithy sayings and maxims for a, for a successful life. That, that's really not what God's interested in. Now, this is part of a real letter from a real person to real people dealing with real situations, hard situations, and so we must really consider what it meant for them and say so what it means for us. This is not a, a verse in a vacuum, we might say. Which all in all, I think means the translators are, translators are right because they tie it in with the previous verse. And so they put it into the overall context of what Paul is saying. 4 verse 13 is not a verse about God helping you to achieve your dreams or, or dare I say it, always win at basketball. No. 4 verse 13 is a verse about contentment. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's a verse for us when we say we will never be content or we know the reality of our hearts that are not content. They cling to other things. It's a verse for us to pray when we know that discontentment. It's a verse for us when we're bombarded by TV messages or adverts on the internet or apps that we might like or in the papers, those things that breed discontentment in us. They tell us that we need this. Finish the sentence. So have a look down with me. And you see, Paul's contentment in any situation, verse 12, comes from the Lord who gives him strength, verse 13. Not about achieving life goals or being successful or fruitful or pro and prosperous. It's about contentment. It's about having contentment in Christ. It's a great prayer, isn't it? How, how that kind of prayer would make us stand out in the world. Lord, Lord, we're sorry for our discontent. Lord, we're sorry for hearts that so often run after the wrong things. Lord, please give us this quiet contentment from you. A contentment that says we know you're in charge and we trust you. We know that you're good. Help us to trust you. Maybe it's a personal prayer in the midst of whatever the struggle is for you with contentment. Stuff houses, savings, jobs, family situation, family relationships, oh, whatever it might be. Discontentment with lockdown. Where is your discontentment seen at the moment? What kinds of things, what are the things that you long for and think would make life okay 
And then perhaps even what are the things that you long for and think would make life okay now? What are our, our general idols, the things that we run after? And then what are the idols of now in this season? As Calvin would say, our hearts are like little idol factories. What idols do, do ours produce? Maybe it's a personal prayer, but indeed maybe it's a corporate prayer as well. A corporate prayer for contentment. For us as a church family with the, the genuine frustration of not being able to physically meet together. I, I miss you guys. I know you miss one another. And there's a, there's a discontentment there which is right and yet maybe we need to look to the Lord to help us. Or maybe it's the associated irritations of lockdown, corporately. Or maybe just some general discontentment about some aspect or, or aspects of church life, but we're not perfect. Maybe it's discontentment with the building situation, the public consultation, and having to trust the Lord through that as well. We'll hear a bit more about that in a bit. But why don't we be a church that prays that the Lord would make us content? even in lockdown, even in all this frustration, a people who are happy with him, a people who know that he is enough. How? Well, because verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives us strength. And yet, of course, at the same time, Paul is thankful to them. Paul is thankful for their partnership with him. And so as well as seeing contentment in a time of discontent, we see provision in a time of need as well. He's thankful to them as he's thankful to the Lord. And so have a look down again, verse 14. He's thankful for their partnership and their generosity. They've supported him at the start, verse 15, when it was just them. They were, they were the early adopters. They were brave. They were courageous. They nailed their proverbial colours to the pole mast in the early days and he's thankful for that and they've they've supported him along the way as well verse 16 they were loyal they stuck with him and verse 17 though the key thing for Paul is not that they have given to him but rather that he sees they are spiritually mature as they give to him it's what they're giving reveals about their maturity in their hearts he knows that there's genuine fruit in their lives and they've supported him now, verse 18, via Epaphroditus. Do you remember we heard about him at the back end of chapter 2? Him and Timothy as their examples. And he's the one who nearly died. But, but look at how he describes their giving now at this point. And look at what he promises as well. Have a look down at verse 18 and see how he describes their giving halfway through verse 18. Their gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See what he's saying? He's saying that their giving, it's part of their worship. It's the, it's the language of Old Testament sacrifice even. Our, our giving is part of our worship for the Lord. Now, many churches do take up an offering within a service, passing a bowl or a plate round. That's the tradition of a number of different denominations or congregations. We don't do that. 
But, you know, the danger in us not doing that is that our giving easily becomes divorced from the reality of worship. Maybe not giving at all. Or maybe simply the cold, detached standing order that we can forget about and just leave running month after month after month. And we don't give from thankful hearts, but we give because it just does it. Yeah, isn't it striking how we give this language of sacrifice is part of our worship. Our gifts are pleasing to the Lord, Paul says. He notices. He honours it. To worship him and give our all but not give our proverbial wallets is nonsensical. And I need to say, as a leadership team, we are so thankful, Modern Road, for your incredible generosity. You'll know if you were around the last month or so, we were having to make some potentially hard calls during this budget season. Because of lockdown, there's money and staffing and building issues and how do we allocate our income in a way that reflects the things that we care about, reflects our loves. But again, through you, God has provided. Your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God number of anonymous internal gifts which we are so thankful for. It's striking though isn't it? Money is important. It would be remiss of me not to mention that. If you're a regular MRC we would encourage you to give if you can. All our funding essentially comes from within, within the church family. And when we do gather there is a box at the back that's usually available. And I know a few people prefer that the weekly physical bodily habit of putting money in as part of worship on the way into the building or the way out is a really helpful thing it ties the two together so he describes their giving as worship a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to god but do you see as well what he promises in verse 19 He's thankful for their giving, but look at what he promises. God will provide what we need. Now, of course, that doesn't always mean we'll have loads of stuff. Paul's already been the example of that. He was content when he was in physical want. He knew what it was to be hungry. But rather, I take it he means God's riches in Christ are enough to meet his people's needs. So we can be, we can be free to give. We can be generous because God is generous with us. It would be crazy, it'd be bonkers for us to say, I believe God generously in his riches gave us his most precious possession, his his son, the Lord Jesus, to meet my greatest need. He he died on the cross. He He took God's anger against my sin upon himself. I'm forgiven. I know what it means to have shame removed. My guilt is taken away. To, to know that, but then to doubt his, his desire or his ability to look after our lesser needs. No, he's got you covered, says Paul. It'll be okay. You can trust your Father in heaven to give you what you need. Because, of course, if you see things like often we see things in the world or our culture or our society, then giving is crazy. Giving is nonsensical. Giving is losing your savings. Giving is losing your security. It's depleting your buffer. It's taking the filling out of your financial cushion. To which Paul says, it's okay. It's okay, you can give, you can be generous because he's got you. Because he will provide for your needs. Doesn't mean our wants, perhaps. 
he remember the lord's prayer he's a daily bread kind of god he's not a daily caviar and champagne kind of god and as we've said even though there may be economic uncertainty as we come out of lockdown and even though it's going to be complicated and perhaps it's going to be painful we i think we can look ahead with confidence resolving to be generous resolving to trust him because he will meet our needs according to the riches of his glory in christ jesus and so to our god and father be glory forever and ever amen paul says so modern road let's pray that we would be a rejoicing content church able to use money well able to not hoard wealth in the, the things he's delegated to us, the things that belong to him, that we're looking after for him, because we trust him. We trust him to meet our needs. And who, like Paul, the Lord teaches the reality of contentment. Not just on paper, but just as an idea. But in reality so that we can use the money well that he entrusts to us because we know the riches of his generosity to us and we can trust him to provide and we will be a people who are generous to our god and father be glory forever and ever amen and then he finishes greet all god's people in christ jesus the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings all god's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to caesar's household the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in, in a world of discontent and with hearts of discontent, we pray that you would, by your power, make us content people who know that you are enough, who know that you are good, who trust you. Thank you that, thank you that we can do all things through your strength, even being a people who are content. And we pray that we might be, be a people who are generous, who, who know the reality of your provision for us, and are thankful for that and so to be a people who who give because we know that you will provide for our needs lord in one sense these are very easy concepts for us to agree with and yet very hard to do and we can't do it on our own and so we pray that you would help us we pray that you might powerfully be at work in us both as, as individuals, but also as a collective church body together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.